So, Nate, mm-hmm. we're back in Portland. We are back in Portland, and like, it's quite literally 4.15 p.m. on a Monday, and I came over here to record this with you, and then we had this whole fucking fiasco with like the microphone set up, so we're just going to use one mic right now, and I think it was like such a fiasco that Jason was like, uh, we should probably make a drink, so... Well, I mean, the original idea for this this whole podcast was to call it Two Drinks Deep. Yeah. And we were just going to, like, set up a microphone and drink and talk. Yeah. Um, Brilliant and idea. So we're really just kind of bringing it back to the, the original. So cheers, buddy. Cheers to you. So we are drinking a Manhattan with a Knob Creek rye whiskey. What's the vermouth you used? Coke di Torino. Coke di Torino. And then Angostura bitters. And we're going to have a fucking conversation. Yeah. So, um... Nate. What's up, everybody? Uh, This is Jason, and it's been a very long time since we have released one of these podcasts, but Nate and I are back in Portland, and so we decided let's give it a spin. Um, This conversation is centered around values and how our values inform the decisions that we make in our life. And more importantly, it's kind of about the work that was done to help us determine what our values were in the first place. Um, this one's a little a little meta, so uh, stick with us, but I think it's really valuable if you decide to stick through to the end. Um, let's pick up somewhere in the middle, because Nate rambled for a while at the beginning. Okay, so here, but here's what I do want you to do. I want you to explain, maybe through example, or just maybe whatever, like, what is it, what are core values? Like, when you're talking about that, what do, what do you mean? It's... For me, it's what constitutes a good life. But like, okay, so that's a another is a good life answer of okay. Yeah, like well, because like you know, like you could you could say something like a good life is is like a life well lived, and it's a completely circular, meaningless statement. Uh, or you could say something like good, like a good life is like a warm pair of when socks. I, when like, I wake up, <laughs> yeah, that's super poetic. <clears throat> when I wake up in the morning, what the fuck do I want to spend my time doing before I go to bed that night? Those are my values. How do I spend my limited amount of time before I die on this earth? Okay. That's the way that I think about it. Okay. How did you determine those? I, yeah, this is the, the not necessarily practical or fun part. Uh, I was alone for a month in a foreign country (laughs) and I had a lot of time to think about what was important to me. And I just, ended a 10 year long relationship. Uh, and I was, uh, had a bunch of opportunities to work for other companies and consult and do my own thing where I had a bunch of decisions I had to make pretty quickly about what I was going to do, where I was going to live, who I was going to be. And I had to think through how the fuck do I structure my day? Cause I can literally do anything right now. And it's mm-hmm. a really good, it's a really good position to be in of course, but it's also, challenging because I could literally do anything. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's how I came up with it. Yeah. Um, no, I guess, and I, and like, I'm, I'm kind of grilling you just to give you shit, but yeah, I, uh, I also think like, like the values thing is so interesting because it means such different things to different people. Um, what does it mean to you? Well, I, so like at the stage that I'm at right now, and, you know, taking this with the fact that I live on top of, like, Mount Privilege with, you know, a whole lot of, of fortunate and uh, 
fortunate experiences and, and you know, all the, the advantages I started with, like mm-hmm. I've been able to build a really good career. I make good money. So like when, when I'm looking at, at values, I, I get to not worry about like the food and shelter part of Maslow's. Oh, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm to the point where now, like I'm in the, the self-actualization phase of this, like where I want to figure out like what, what's meaning. Um, I'm not worried about, about getting by, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm, I'm very, I'm very lucky in that stand, in that stance. Um, so when I talk about values, I'm, I'm thinking of like, I want to make sure that the stuff that I do doesn't die with me. Mm. And so like that kind of gets at this idea of legacy. I don't necessarily mean legacy in the sense that I ever want somebody to build a statue of me or like that I would be one of those people who lives on through quotes throughout history, like Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King Jr. That's not the sort of thing that I'm talking about. I mean more in the sense that like was the net, was the net total of my existence on earth good for the earth? Mm. And like, I think a lot of ways good for the earth or good for people. Good. I feel like you can use that. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess like, that's, that's kind of the... You, you recycle and shit, but you're not... Well, but, okay, but so, like, but like both, right? Like, how can how can I make sure that, like, my existence was a net positive? Yeah, agreed. And, and if you think about it that way, like, that informs a different set of values because, like, I'm not having kids, right? Like, Marissa and I have talked about this. We don't want to have kids. Mm. So that means that I don't get the normal way of making the world a better place, which is by having a child that you can teach to be better than you. Mm -hmm. So that means that now I'm in this position where like, if I want my experience to be in that positive, I have to do it through my work. Mm -hmm. And so now that work that I do takes on a whole new meaning because it's literally the only thing that I leave behind. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it, it gives it a little bit of weight because now I'm having to think, like who do like if if somebody digs this up in an archaeological dig in a thousand years like would I be seen as somebody who did good things like was I on the right side of history or the wrong side of history did I did I make the people around me better more successful happier or was I like dragging people down or or like stepping on somebody's neck to get up like that mm-hmm. you know that sort of stuff is very that's the kind of stuff that I put in my values now yeah I guess it's I guess implicit in the values that I came up with are like human decency and compassion toward others, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, like the whole purpose that I read earlier about like helping people access and practice deep mental, physical, and spiritual health captures that for me, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's something bigger than myself. Um, and then I, I guess that's like, that's what purpose means to me. I guess value, maybe, I mean, we're using the words differently perhaps, like the way that I wrote my values was what do I do when I wake up to have a good life and to contribute the most that I'm able to contribute without becoming a martyr? So is it like a, like a, a concrete action? Like, do you have an example? Mm, yeah. Okay. My number one value. <laughs> well, so I say number one, but, uh, it's, it's the first one you wrote. Down. It's the first one I wrote down. <laughs> this, 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 this is not in order necessarily. Uh, yeah. It's spend quiet time, undistracted quiet time alone, preferably in nature, mm. with time to think and walk and sit and be a human being. So, okay. So, so this is actually really interesting because what you just described was not like, 
a way of working or a mm-hmm. impact. It's a, a state. But it allows me to make that impact because I have to mm-hmm. take care of myself first and feel like I'm coming from a good place and feel like I'm not in a position where I'm like being manipulative to anybody or myself or putting myself in a bad situation, right? Like that's... Well, yeah, and, and like honestly, if, we, if we're being really... Like if you want to be like philosophically cold-blooded, like your entire existence is to minimize suffering. Yes. And so if, if you as an individual are suffering at all, you're failing at thing one. <laughs> like you, you should minimize your own suffering and then do your best to minimize it in people around you. And that kind of goes up to higher purpose and like the work that you do, but it also goes down to like, I can't help you But like if, you know, I can't cut my arm off to help you out because I'm going to end up being bitter about this. Like I'll be upset that I gave something away that I can never get back. Mm -hmm. And that resentment is going to end poorly, Mm -hmm. right? It's it's that idea of like, you you know, like you said, you don't want to be a martyr. So how do you make sure that what you're doing is making sure that you're in the best possible headspace to make the biggest possible impact? Mm Mm-hmm. And so, so, but that's an interesting way of looking at values. I hadn't really, I hadn't really thought about it that way. Yeah. I mean, that's my first one. And then there are other things on there. Like, uh, I mean, even though we say we weren't, I won't go through them all, but like, all right, another one was, uh, create beautiful and valuable things and share them with others. Like, mm. and I put books, projects, companies, services, articles, connections, but those are all creations for me. Mm. How can I, how can I serve other people? Uh, by creating things that are beautiful and valuable to their life and that make me feel like I'm doing good work in the world. Yeah, I like that. I mean, it, it, it's interesting to me to see where, like, where people draw these lines. And you know, it's especially interesting with you and I because I feel like had we had this conversation at, at 23, which would have been 10 years ago, it would have been a very different conversation. We're like, getting fucking old. Uh, hold your hold your tongue, Nate Green. Um, but I, but I, I feel like uh, no, course, I, like yeah, it's it's absolutely. interesting to think about like what would what would twenty three year old me write down as my system of values, and and I, honestly thinking about it, like what would twenty three year old me have been able to accomplish had he written down a system of values? Yeah, because if I'm thinking about it, like at that point in my life, I had just quit my band and I was working, I think at a a Kinko's about that time. Um, and so this was like a very transitional point in my life. I was working a full-time job. I was moonlighting as a a freelancer and web dev. I was trying to find my way out. I needed to figure out like, you know, I was in that, that mode of like, what do I want to be when I grow up? Mm -hmm. And I wasn't in a position to not worry about food and shelter. Like I was making 30 grand a year. I lived paycheck to paycheck. Were you even making that much? Uh, well, I guess if you count all the time that I called in sick, probably not. But like if, <laughs> if you, if you took my wage and, and accounted for a full, a yeah. full time workload, I was making about 30 grand a year. Um, and you know, it was, it was enough to pay my rent. It was enough to eat, but like with any kind of fun budget, I lived at zero. Mm-hmm. And so it, uh, it, you know, I, I'm probably could have been more responsible. I probably could have been more dedicated to saving or whatever and had a, a more 
comfortable living, but you know, I was 23 and I wanted to party. So (laughs) this is the thing. So I, I I said earlier that, uh, my friend, uh, John Berardi sent me a book that he was working on and it mentioned values. Like, Mm -hmm. and you talk about what would your values be at 23? Like, this is not the first time that I've done shit like this. Right. Right. Like it changes every year maybe mm-hmm. I mean I, I maybe I, I hope that like the common human decency part always stays fresh in there but I feel like I mean I don't know if you I mean you're not gonna have kids but if you were to ever have a kid or adopt a kid mm-hmm. one of your values may become you know become a great father or whatever certainly right? hope it would <laughs> I would I would hope so too which means it would be different than what it is right now right so these right. are all malleable these are all things that can be edited well, and even thinking about it in like a different way. So like I, like from a just selfish standpoint, when I was like 27, one of my main goals was to grow my network. Mm. And so one of the things that I focused on was like speaking gigs at conferences and doing as much like professional networking and travel and all that stuff that I could. So when like now, I'm almost on the other side of that where now my, my networking has a hard limit. Like I don't want to travel more than once a month. Um, I, I would prefer to only travel every six weeks. And so that's, that's something that shifted as I like hit a different stride in my career. The things that I valued are are different now. Like what I really want to do now is be involved in the local community. I want to have like a local set of people that I can be closer with than, like once a year conference friends. Yes. Um, and I still love my once a year conference friends. I just don't want all of my friends to be once a year conference friends. Okay. So this is a beautiful point right here because we're sitting here drinking a Manhattan, which I am realizing I have had pretty much most of mine and you've had one sip of yours. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah. Oh man. You're I drink fast. <laughs> apparently. That's why I can not never have a daiquiri or anything sweet. I'll drink it. Like it's a goddamn shot. Um, so, quick side story that I just remembered. I just remembered going to New Orleans, and we went to um, we went to the uh, the Sazerac bar. Oh God! And we ordered the Ramos Gin Fizz, and we drank it in like and one second. And we both second. drank it in like one second because we were expecting like a gin drink, and it was like a milkshake. Yeah, and we like hadn't had water for like four hours, so oh, we were just yeah, thirsty. That was, uh, yeah. that was anyways. Yeah. Uh, so sweet drinks, no. What was I talking about before that? We were talking about uh, values changing over time. Oh, um, so one thing, like I'm back in Portland now and one of my values is uh, to, I forget exactly how I worded it, but it's to uh, spend time with people I love and live in honesty and compassion. And what that means is like never lying, always being honest with people, of course. And then living in compassion means like uh, uh, giving them the benefit of the doubt. uh, What's... JB Berardi had, had a thing that I loved. It was a spirit of generosity, approaching every person with the spirit of generosity. Like they're just trying to, they're, they're trying to be the best possible version of themselves. But anyway, one thing that is interesting is I have a criteria that says, uh, I call it old, but old friends and family over new friends and connections. Meaning, mm. I would much rather at this point, I'm not shutting myself down from new connections and making new friends, but I have so many people in my life that I love that I fucking rarely talk to. 
And wouldn't it be better to go and cultivate those friendships and relationships that are already established and need some love and attention as opposed to just trying to collect friendships? And like I said, I'm not, I'm, I'm totally open to other things and meeting people, but that's a value of mine. So, so like I have a point, I'm going to spin off a little bit here. Um, what you just said kind of like, I was just thinking in my head as you were saying that. Like, how did you come to that conclusion? And, and so that got me thinking down kind of a little bit of a rabbit hole here where like for you to be able to realize that you have all these friends that you love, but you don't see, um, or that you were prioritizing like new connections and, and whatever over, over people that you already know, um, there had to have been like a thought process there, right? And so uh, it, it has me thinking about my own thought process and like how I'm getting to these decisions that I'm making. And um, it kind of just, I, I was just thinking about this whole concept of meta work. I, I just wrote on my blog uh, like a week and a half ago ish about yak shaving, which is this like programmer joke about um, if you want to solve one problem, you have to do a bunch of yak shaving first, which is it's a terrible joke based on a Ren and Stippy episode where you like every yaksmith you had to shave a yak it was a very terrible like it's not funny I was but, wondering why this was so confusing <laughs> it's not I mean it's not funny it's like an inside joke wrapped in an inside joke wrapped in an inside joke but uh, but the the term is just kind of this general sense of like okay if I want to uh, mow my lawn yes and I go outside and I realize that the lawnmower is out of gas then I need to get gas. So I go to the shed and then I realize that I let somebody borrow my gas can. And so then I have to go to the store to buy a gas can so that I can get gas so that I can come home and put gas in my lawnmower so I can finally do the thing that I wanted yes. to do today, which is mow my lawn. And so like in that sense, it just seems like a ton of hassle, right? But if you think about it practically, there was no way for you to not do that. Mm -hmm. There are things that you could streamline, like remembering that you had lent your gas can so you could have gotten it back before you needed it. But ultimately, like the lawnmower is going to run out of gas. And you, if, if you're not ready to do the work before the work, like at some point, you're just going to hit that wall and you won't be able to mow your lawn anymore. And so letting that analogy go and, and just kind of moving into the general concept, like this idea of meta work and, and kind of thinking through things before you... Uh, before you act, um, it feels to me like like what you've been doing and what this whole experience in Thailand was and and all of that was you you got some distance or who's the what's the altitude who's who's Evan that? Pagan Evan Pagan talks about getting altitude, Get altitude from something yep. um, and you so you like are able to to zoom out from your life get that bird's eye view and and look at what you're doing and start thinking about why and how mm -hmm. as opposed to just what's next. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it, it, what's interesting about it is that it took a couple of things to push me to do that, like a re long-term relationship ending, uh, new job opportunities, moving someplace else. And that's what pushed me to do it. And I, I, I wish, and I, I guess I wonder if it's possible to, come to these kinds of realizations and to do this kind of like active learning work as opposed to just passively learning stuff, just like active learning work and workshopping your own life basically without having a 
serious thing happen in your life to precipitate it? So I think for maybe the first time ever, I can say that like I proactively did something and it wasn't the the result of a disaster. (laughs) Okay, good. Um, So we've talked about this before, but uh, a couple years back, Marissa and I did a few years traveling full time. We were living in Airbnbs and one of, at a certain point, I was working a contract and like, I'm pretty big on efficiency and productivity. So I was able to get the majority of my work done very fast, which meant that I was usually working like 15 ish hours per week to get my full, my full week of work done. Um, and that meant that I was on the other side of the planet with a significant portion of my day where everybody I knew was asleep and I had nothing to do, Mm. which meant that I fell into a deep existential crisis. Um, it was kind of like that, like, well, what do you do when like, I'd set these goals for myself when I, you know, the 23 year old me who was trying to figure out how to become a full-time web developer. Well, I did that and I get to 2930 and I'm doing it and I'm bored and I don't know what to do next. And I feel like my, like I'm still ambitious and I want to do stuff, but I don't have a plan. And so this vacuum gets created where like what I think is possible and what I want to do start to separate. And it just was like suffocating me. Um, that led to me taking the job at IBM mm-hmm. and it was like, I, I moved back to the United States. I took a job at IBM. I wanted to get some community. I, this is where I started thinking about this like proactive thing. Well, you, and you did the IBM thing for a couple of reasons. Like, yeah, there was career growth stuff. There was, there was like, there were re- the speaking engagement was the big thing I remember you talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, there were, there were, there were so many opportunities inside of IBM. Yes. Like it, it, it's a place where, you're surrounded by incredibly intelligent people. There's almost infinite room for growth. Mm-hmm. Um, there are like bottomless resources for anything that you want to do. And so if you go there and you want to learn, you can, you can really grow your career. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that wasn't the, the time that I was actually proactive. That was, you know, the result of me hitting this kind of existential crisis. What happened was after about 18 months at IBM, I, was just kind of like thinking about my life and what I wanted to do. And, and I decided that the same kind of meta work that I'd done in Thailand to resolve my, my crisis, I was like, well, what if I just did this again to make sure that I'm still happy? And so I sat down and I just started thinking through like, well, what makes me happy about IBM? What doesn't make me happy about mm-hmm. IBM? What makes me happy about my situation in Austin? Mm-hmm. What doesn't make me happy about it? Like, what would I, what would my perfect life look like? And I started drawing these maps between like, here's what I like, here's what I would prefer to do every day, here's what I wish I wasn't doing. And I started drawing circles around it. And what I ultimately found was like, I liked about 85% of my life in Austin at IBM. But that 15% was a big 15% for me. Like I wasn't working remotely, that's a huge problem for me. And I don't like the weather in Austin, I couldn't walk places when I lived in Austin. So I didn't wanna live in Austin, Texas anymore. And there was some, you know, just like organizationally, IBM's a huge company. I like a little more chaos. I don't like bureaucracy. So also being, no vegetables. Oh yeah. There you he could, all you could find is like deep fried cheese covered vegetables in Austin. And like, there's somebody in Austin, like screaming at their computer. Yeah, right they, That's they, not true. They this right now. They know the one <laughs> restaurant that serves actual seasonal vegetables. And I, and I, I know I, I was able to find some really excellent food in Austin, but on average it was heavy, cheesy, fried, everything. And that did not do well for me. I probably gained 60 pounds in Austin. Mm. So 
what, what I realized was like, I wasn't unhappy. I wasn't in crisis. But when I did this assessment, I realized that like I was putting a lot of energy into things that weren't moving the needle. And I was ignoring things that were actively not making me sad, but like sapping away. They were like tempering my happiness and making it a little bit lower than it could have been. And so when I started looking at this objectively and I, and I did this meta work about like what my perfect life looks like, I just, I was like, okay, well, so if I, if I move back to Portland, which is the city that I've always used as like my gold standard of where I want to live. And I had a community of people that I love, which I had in Austin and I still miss them very much, but I have a bigger community in Portland and I have lots of friends who lived here. You know, I knew you were coming back eventually and I knew you weren't going to move to Austin. Right. And so like, I knew that it, I could build the community that I wanted in Portland and have that. I knew that I'd be able to walk more. Like all these little things that are in isolation, not a big deal, but the gestalt of that, if I could keep all that 85% that I liked about IBM in Austin and add the 15% of like moving to a company that lets me work remotely, a little bit more autonomy and chaos in the, the day-to-day work, uh, being back in a community that has weather that's more my speed and walkable and all that. Like now I feel like I'm living at like, 99% of mm. my optimal happiness. And that, it, like, that came out of reflection, not out of crisis. And I felt like that was a really cool thing. It is a really cool thing. What's interesting to me hearing this is, uh, all right, so two things. One, you can do this at any time, which, mm-hmm. but, the, and this is the tough part though, right? Like, and we've talked about this a lot of times before. It's the difference, uh, difference between passive and active learning, like passive learning, like listening to podcasts, mm-hmm. reading books, uh, going to speak, uh, speaking engagements or whatever, listening to people, um, is different than like, a workshop where you mm-hmm. sit down with a piece of paper and a pen and you like figure shit out. You mm-hmm. work it out for yourself. Uh, the second thing that I think is interesting is we have just come full circle because earlier you asked about my values and how I got them. And I said, what constitutes a good life is how I kind of came up with my values. Mm-hmm. And you just told me the same fucking thing. You just didn't mm-hmm. use that language. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, and it's true. Like yeah. you, you, or ultimately, you know, if we talk about it from a, again, that like cold philosophical angle, like what you're really looking at is like, you want to maximize the amount of usefulness in your life. And like what makes life useful is to me at least like joy and connection and, you know, all these things that they, it's the stuff that feels good. Like that's the reason that my favorite things in life are big meals with friends and, yeah. and like deep conversations and where you can like dig into a concept and argue a little bit, but like in a good way, mm-hmm. um, that sort of stuff, like those, those types of conversations and those types of connections and, and that type of, uh, of joy is like, I feel like if I get to the end of my life and, and I'm sitting on my deathbed and I, and I think about like a life full of that, I'm not going to feel bad about it. But how the fuck do you pick what to work on? Hmm. Um, and the, 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 this, there's a couple of things implicit in that question, right? Which is like, you know, the kind of work that you want to do. Like mm-hmm. maybe some people listening to this are like, I don't even want, know what I want to do for my career or I'm like in a job right now that I don't like, or I'm an entrepreneur and like my business isn't going the way that I thought it would, or I'm in a company and it's just not where I think I mm-hmm. want to be. Um, but like personally, I'm in a situation now where like, I know like uh, Dan Sullivan, uh, who's an executive coach, calls it uh, unique abilities. You and I in the past have called them prime movers. 
they're the things that we do, uh, skills that we've developed that we can use to both make money, but then also contribute to the well-being of others. I just, I just like you just said prime movers, and it just reminded me that do you remember when we had a product? <laughs> we, we built a product called Refocus, and oh wow, it was like <laughs> that was like two years ago. Well, and it was three com- years ago, it, and it was completely dedicated to this. Like it, this was this was like the framework that we went through to solve a lot of these problems. And I'm just I, like, we that was two years ago. Yeah. What the fuck did we ever do with that? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we launched it fucking once, and then uh, we we're like, ugh, I don't know. That was a lot of work. Let's not do anything with it. <laughs> we should do something with that. No, maybe. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. We should look at it again to see if it's worth doing anything with. I feel like it was good. Like the Prime Movers thing was good. I think it's good. It was like way too... All right, so this is what we're talking about. So I'm going to jump in here. Uh, We ended up talking about this for like 10 more minutes, and I don't think that it's terribly interesting to anybody except Nate and me. Um, We will have more to say about Refocus in the near future, so stay tuned. But uh, for now, we're just going to skip this over and jump to when we got back on topic. do something with that. Um, Anyway... We call them unique abilities or prime movers, and it's really the skill set that you have developed that you are either world class at or have the uh, have the ability to become world class at. Mm-hmm. That also uh, also offers a lot of benefit to the world, right? Mm-hmm. So th- those would be called like we can call them skills, prime movers, unique abilities, whatever. That's what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. And I feel like at age 23, I didn't know what the fuck those were. Yeah. Right? But now, like, the only reason I'm able to make some of the decisions that I'm making right now is because I kind of know what I'm good at. And that is super important to me to, like, I don't want to go learn a whole new fucking skill set from scratch. I would like to use some of the skills I've already built and then learn new things that will help me get better at that. But mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from with, with this now, which is also why I decided to move back and like work on the mm-hmm. stuff that I'm working on. Yeah. Uh, it, so you like talking about that, like learning a whole new skill set and stuff. Um, I feel like when I was younger, I wasted a lot of time on just saying yes to everything because I remember when I was a freelancer, like I couldn't be picky about the work that I got. So I was like, I'll do anything. And so I did everything from like typesetting to content writing to, to like managing newsletters to building websites and, and pretty much everything in between. And honestly, I wasn't very good at most of it. And it took me a long time to like, basically my clients selected for me because they stopped hiring me for stuff that I was bad at. And had I known then to think about what I was really good at and to only focus on that instead of saying, well, I should take everything because I need to get established, the, di- the distance I could have covered mm. in, in such a shorter time would have been really impressive because like, the things that I wasn't good at probably took up the majority of my time because I was struggling. I had to learn. Mm. I had to, I had to like, get help. Or like Google a bunch of stuff to figure out how it worked. Whereas the stuff that I was really good at, the stuff that I was, you know, like naturally part of my skill set or things that I had started to get toward mastery on 
were fast. I enjoyed them. I could mm. stay engaged because I enjoyed them. Mm. And so I cranked them out pretty quickly. And if I had just been focusing on that, I would have cranked out a lot more work a lot faster. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> this is like a, uh, it's not a paradox. I don't know why I was going to say that, but now it's on record. It's an interesting part about skill development though, mm. is you have to say, and like where you're at in your career, you have to say yes to most things early in your career. Otherwise you're doing yourself a huge disservice because you may not know what your fucking skill set is yet. Mm. Or if you know some of the things that you're good at, you don't have any fucking opportunities. Like I remember what it was like to be like a struggling freelancer trying to like sell articles to magazines. Mm. Like I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Mm. And so anytime anyone was like, Hey, will you write an article for my website for free? I was like, yeah, I'll totally do that. That would be a stupid decision for me now. Like mm-hmm. there's no way I would do that now, but back then, or if I were going, if if I were in a position where I had to learn a new skill set, like I would start saying yes to every opportunity to learn and to grow. But now I'm in a position, uh, thankfully, where I get I have to say no to m- most things. It's actually really difficult. That's the that's the number one thing I'm struggling with the most right now is mm-hmm. like how to have a criteria and say no to good opportunities or to good people uh, because it's not, it doesn't match up with what I want to do in the world. Well, and you, you talked about that on your, um, your retrospective. Yeah. Which, so that, I mean, and that's like talking about this meta work, you know, um, one of the things that we've been doing regularly is like every, every year, I think you've done it for the last three or four years. Yep. And I've done it like that many minus one year. Um, there's, <laughs> there, there's been this idea that like you should take time to break down like what did I do last year and like based on that information what what do I want to change like what were the good things that I want to keep going what were the things that, that were frustrating or yeah. unfulfilling or whatever that I want to drop and like what goals do I want to set for myself and so, so that is a form of meta work um, it's a concept borrowed from business which it, like if you think about it Business is a really good allegory for building a good life because business is completely optimized for like maximizing whatever its goals are. Yeah, the end result. And so, and and like if you set the wrong goals and maximize for the wrong goals, then you're fucked. Then you're fucked. But if you maximize for the right things, yeah. and you like regardless of of whether or not the business itself is a healthy business, the practice yeah. of like reviewing and optimizing and relentlessly revisiting and, and re-examining these assumptions that like that type of meta work in a healthy business is what makes all the difference. And if you can kind of move that over to your life and apply those same kind of ideals that that sense of revisiting and re-examining and, and tweaking and testing, um, you can get significantly better results out of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that I feel very fortunate to have been a part of is like because I started working with precision nutrition back in like 2010 and because uh you know you and I have been fortunate enough to work together on some things and then with other companies like I like the business framework of like setting goals like that and then working backwards from them is just something that I've kind of internalized early on in my career Mm. and I haven't really thought about it since then. Like it's just a way that I operate in the world now and it may not be, I'm not saying it's the best way to operate, but it's, it's what I know. And I don't know if a lot of other people have access to like those kinds of companies or, or in those rooms when we're talking about like 
we have like three whiteboards and we're trying to figure out how the fuck to mm. launch this new program or this new strategy or whatever, right? Like the, 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 there's a certain process that you have to go through in order to get shit done. And I feel like we don't have a lot of life internal systems to work through in order to get shit done. Like it only exists in the quote business world. There are no like life worksheets for how to prioritize your time set up your values, work on the shit that's the most important to you that also generates enough income for you to live. Like these are just, these are just like fucking valuable skill sets to have. Well, and, and even like outside of generating income, like if you think about it from the standpoint of like, okay, well I, you know, my partner and I mm. are happy yeah. together and I want to make sure that we stay happy. So let me, let me think through like, what are the parts of our relationship that make us happy? What are the parts of our right. relationship that stress us out? Yeah, and fuck. are those things that are within our control? Like Marissa and I just had this big fight the other day about uh, I hobbies. She, I hope she listens to this. She won't. Okay, but it's, <laughs> we can say whatever we want. <laughs> fuck um, you, Marissa. No, uh, I'm just kidding. I love her. No, she, she, now she's going to hear it. She's going to come at you like a spider monkey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds scary. But uh, so we, but we had this, we were like, we were arguing and it, and it was about hobbies, right? And so in our relationship previously and in previous relationships uh, to like worse outcomes, um, those types of arguments would be like, I don't like thing. And then I would say, well, you should deal with thing. And then, or, or what or like, okay, well, what do you want me to do instead? And then it's like, it's just like weird, like kind of fight and resentment and whatever. And we were having this argument and, and we stopped it and we just said, okay, in a perfect world, what would this look like? Like we were talking about hobbies. She doesn't like that all my hobbies are on the computer. Mm. And so I, um, I asked her, I was like, well, in a perfect world, what does this look like to you? Like, am I, am I like still not hanging out with you, but I'm at a, in a wood shop or like at a guitar lesson instead of like working on my blog or am I, are we like doing things together mm. or like, what does it look like? And, and so we, we started to figure out that the problem wasn't necessarily what my hobbies were. It was the distribution of time. Mm. And so what, what we actually came to is that the better way to solve this problem wasn't necessarily for me to like suddenly just develop a distaste for the computer but instead to like mindfully set up activities that are like, hey, we are going to drive out to the Oregon coast today. Yeah. And, and it's, so it's like, okay, we're going to like consciously set up non-computer, just the two of us, go outside, hobbies. I see. So she didn't want you just to learn how to like play guitar better right. for the sake of your own whatever. It was, she wanted to spend time with you in a way that was not on the fucking computer. Right, exactly. And so, and you know, they're like... They're, but you would have never gotten there if you didn't know how to fucking structure that. Well, yeah, and had we not had the discussion that was like, okay, well, let's let's start with the goal yeah. and work backward to the steps. Get altitude. Yeah, you know, we but we had to understand because like what I thought she was saying yeah. is I don't like it when you're on the computer yeah which is not what she was saying mm. and and so it was difficult for it us may to, even be what she was saying but well, it just was not what, what she, she meant was, it was what she was saying yeah. like that, those were the words those, yeah but it's not the intent behind and, it and when we dug into it we realized that that wasn't actually the yeah, case what the fuck so it was just it was just kind of a fascinating way to look at it because yeah. it, it just changed the um it changed the dynamic of of like an argument and again that's like that's a, a another business thing it's called a root cause analysis 
where when you, when like something goes wrong in your business, you try to figure out like, well, what was the thing that actually went wrong? Not, not the symptoms, not the problem we solved, but like, what's the thing that broke? Yep. And so that's what we did. We were like, okay, so you're unhappy. What's the thing that made you unhappy? And mm-hmm. it's that we haven't been doing like outdoor couple stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. So anyways, that's just a, another interesting example. It's, it's, it's interesting how these kind of concepts permeate through all of your life, right? Yeah. Like in a major way. Mm-hmm. Like well, that's... and it's so easy to like not do it, right? Like I do this shit at work all the time. Like my whole life is like risk analysis and, and like root cause assessments and, and like all and, this. And fucking like, I like, yeah, my whole life right now is I have a big project. I need to break it down into a million steps and figure out how to move on it first mm-hmm. and what the most important thing is and what, what are the deliverables and everything, right? Like you can, yeah. you can but then you come thing. home and you're like in your regular life and you don't think about it very hard <laughs> yeah. and you will make all of the same mistakes that yep. you're yelling about your business making yep. because you're not paying attention. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, it's always fascinating. It's, and it's frustrating too. Cause I look back at like, Oh, so many things that I did wrong mm. that if I would have just been thinking about them in a different way, like could have gone better. Yeah. I don't know if I have any more conversation after that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know because we still don't know if we should keep doing this. Um, So we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Leave a review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast app. Um, Tweet about the show. Email us directly. Do whatever uh, you prefer to do to tell somebody that a thing that has been done is a thing that you would like to continue. Um, Because that's what we need. We need to be validated. Uh, outside of that, um, yeah, stay, stay tuned for more news on refocus, more news on next steps for this podcast. And, uh, if you haven't already go to Nate's blog, nategreen.org, uh, my website, uh, langstorf.com. I'm going to just not even bother spelling it, but, uh, we've got blogs there. We've got newsletters. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to talk to you. So, um, until next time, thanks for listening. I feel like you just said all that like it was a bad thing. No, no, it's a good thing. I'm really, just like, I'm just like, in awe by who you are. I'm not here living my best life. Yeah, like, no, I'm just in awe of like what the fuck you do on a day-to-day basis.